This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's happening, guys? We are live. We're talking Browns draft prospects as we have been doing now for many weeks leading up to this thing. And I'm trying to bring on some guests, as many guests as we possibly can, to talk about uh, just sort of the nuance of these draft picks, who they like, who they don't like, people who I think, at least in my opinion, invest a lot of time looking at these people, not just looking at them from I I saw these highlights on YouTube and I think this guy's going to be really good. No, more of a, a nuanced take. I've had Corey Kennan on. We've talked. We've done multiple mock drafts. I've had uh, Jeff Lloyd uh, from 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 Locked On Browns on, and I've always always tried to get Pete Smith on to come on and talk about his guys because Pete does as well as anybody uh, as far as thoroughly checking out draft prospects, putting together comprehensive lists, putting together people he thinks fits with what the Browns' vision is. All of those sorts of things that I think are important. He does a great job over at Sports Illustrated, uh, which is SI's Digest, uh, the Browns Digest. And he's their editor, but he does way more than just edit. I mean, you know, he's doing everything. He's writing. He's he's doing his own podcast. He's doing a bunch of different things. So I'm going to welcome in Pete. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm going to save that. that uh, the greatest intro for me of all time. <laughs> I try to I try to pump it up, man. But that's not that's not a lie. I think you do a great job uh, looking at looking at the big picture, and not just you know kind of narrowing down certain things. I think you try to look at the broad scope of Browns, not just draft the whole thing. But I specifically love your draft content, Pete, because it's 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 pinpointing things about the front office that not many people think. I like unique takes. I like thinking about things. I don't I don't often come across things that make me think uh, in a way that uh you know kind of in my opinion I say to myself, man, I wish I would have thought of that because I think you do a lot of those great things. So uh, we're going to talk about your five prospects. So again, I set the the stage yesterday with Corey. I said these are in this situation. It could be pick twenty nine, could be pick fifty six. Uh, if you want to deviate, you can explain a little bit of why you would deviate, maybe say 89, 91. But these are guys that if you were in the scouting room with the Browns, you would say, I put my reputation on the line for this player. I really believe in this guy. I mean, as far as we can, we don't know the, per- we don't meet with these guys. We don't know their personal stories necessarily. We gather some intel, but we don't know like they do. But these are guys that based on numbers, based on film, based on things you read, age, all of those important factors are people that you believe in. So I asked Pete to give me his five guys. I'm going to let Pete take the wheel here and talk about his first guy. And if you guys have questions in the comment section, I will try to throw them if they make sense for the time. If not, we'll try to come back to them towards the end of Pete's visit with us. So lead us off, Pete. Talk about your first guy. Yeah, Joseph Asai from Texas. Uh, I've made no bones about this. I love this guy. I think if, you, if you've coached, I know you've coached, uh, he's a guy who gets you fired up just watching him. He, he, he just never slows down. Uh, just relentless effort, and and he gives you this sense, even as a defensive end, in the same way Miles Garrett does, 
where it gives you like this feeling you have an extra defender on the field because they play longer than just when the play gets behind them. Obviously, one play that's been really highlighted by a few people, I know I've talked about it, was against Oklahoma. He's taking on a counter. He gets in the backfield a couple yards, and then he chases down the play. The running back has a six-yard head start. He chases him down about 25 yards, strips the ball, and Texas gets the ball back. Like that's the type of thing where you you sit there with coaches, and they love that stuff, the effort, getting back into a play, not just making the stop, but getting the ball back for your team. So Osai, he tested incredibly well across the board with the major exception of agility. We don't know what his agility really is, and that is, you know, admittedly a huge hole. Uh, you know, he's not a guy like Miles Garrett where he can go to that 45-degree angle and, in Miles' case, practically rub his knee on the ground going around a guy. But he is a guy who can at least maneuver around them. He's, he's uh, not afraid to take on contact. Again, the speed, the effort, just the way he makes plays on the ball. And, you know, for a guy who's only been an edge rusher full-time for one year – 16 tackles for loss, five sacks. He was elite in terms of his team's market share. You know, Texas only had 17 sacks all season. He had five of them. It's difficult in the Big 12 to sort of rack up the numbers because some of those guys just get rid of the ball so fast. Uh, But he did a great job, and he got to play against the guy who's a legit first-round prospect in in Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State. And there are plays where, you know, Osai gets knocked down and, and he goes rolling like a tumbleweed. Tevin Jenkins is a mean, mean man. I'd really like to see him not end up in this division. But Osai always gets up. He keeps playing, and and he gives as well as he takes. And he just, for what the Browns say they want, which is, you know, tough, smart, accountable, Osai has missed one game in three years to Texas. He opted out for the bowl game. That's it. He's, you know, he plays over 70 plays, according to Pro Football Focus, in at least five of his games. That's Ojolari's entire season this year in the uh, in the SEC. That's how many reps you get from a guy like Osai. And for the Browns, you know, people talk about, well, he's a 3-4 guy. He can play stand-up. He can put his hand on the ground. He's 256 pounds. I'm not worried about that at all. But you're not going to turn, turn down a player because, oh, he might have to stand up. Ohio State – who most people, you know, many people who love the Browns are fans of, played a Leo for years, and nobody said, oh, we can't take this guy because, you know, he plays plays standing up. He gets after the quarterback. He does give you the ability to drop into coverage and do some of those things. But even if the Browns get clowny, uh, which seems likely, you know, they're going to want to play with leads more this year. They're more built to play with leads. Guys like Osai – you know, they can just keep coming. And if Clowney signs on a one-year deal, he and Takaris McKinley will both be on one-year deals. So he sort of has that opportunity to step right in uh, with Miles Garrett in that next year as a starter. But right now, he's a designated pass rusher, energy guy, and and somebody who gets your teammates fired up the way he just brings it. Yeah, I certainly think if if the first round doesn't fall the way they hope to with some of these edge guys, Asai brings an interesting profile to the table. You talked about you talked about him playing linebacker a little bit. I think that's noted. Do you see some of those linebacker skills still in his most recent senior year film, or or do you see a guy like I guess my point is, do you see a guy who's comfortable in in, in certain situations being able to drop and play curl flat or something of that nature, or do you just want him bending his ears back? and consistently coming after the quarterback. And another kind of 
piggyback question too there is, you know, we talk about these guys, Pete, like Ojolari, who are a little on the lighter side, just a little on the lighter side. Do you see enough of his tape to anchor down, be an edge defender who can, who can, you know, set the edge, turn people back inside and, and handle that sort of duty on a down to down basis? So in terms of dropping his, his first step getting out is unbelievable. He explodes mm-hmm. backwards. You know, for the most part, you're talking about him as a linebacker. You just see a relentless run and chase guy. He did have two interceptions for Texas last year. It is something he can do. He does have decent ball skills. You know, I I think in that sense, he's more than up to the task for what you'd ask an edge rusher to do. Uh, Setting the edge, I I think he has a real question there right now. And and part of that is because his style, his his just willingness to sort of throw himself around there – just being sort of basically being a sprinter, it a lot it sort of has him play high a little bit, and that may be where he runs into a problem. So I don't love the idea of initially anyway having him on the tight end side and then just being able to run at him. Uh, that could be a problem. Uh, you're not going to lose anything in terms of effort. But look, there are, there's it's undeniable he gets on he's on the ground too much, and that's an issue he has to correct. So that's certainly an issue that you can say, yeah, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. I think Ojolari's got that same problem, but you don't love the idea of having a, you know, a nice 320, like say Penny Sewell lines up on the left side, you got a tight end with him. You're a little wary of that. And at least initially, that's why I think it makes sense for a guy like Osai to be a designated pass rusher at first in the same way Ojolari would be. Uh, and, you know, he's 20. Both him and uh, Ojolari are so young. I don't think it's going to be anything for him to gain four pounds for camp or, or 10 pounds over the next year. So yeah. it's a, it's a real question and, and one that's difficult to answer, but I think he will be okay in that regard. Well, let's talk about your next guy, which I think is a little bit of a different profile from body type. Somebody who's maybe a little more suited to do that. Talk about Quiddy Pay. Yeah. Uh, has a lot of similar qualities. I like in terms of what you want from an edge rusher. I, I'll be honest. I liked Quiddy Pay when he was 280. I was a I was sort of bummed when I found out he was 261 for, for testing because he was so uniquely gifted and, and he didn't get to test agility at, at, at pro day, but he's got the, you know, this legendary three cone you can find pretty easily where it's freakish. He looks like a superhero just in how balanced and how able he is to change directions. Um, and so at that point you're like sitting there going, wow, 280, that seems like the perfect compliment for Miles Garrett, and I think he will get bigger. It's it's interesting with him because his frame is not as big as a guy like Osai, maybe just in terms of the height. Osai's a little taller, uh, but Quiddy Pay has obviously had weight on him and looked great doing it. Uh, I think what I like for him with the Browns is the fact that he's sort of a collapse the pocket style rusher, which is really valuable for for the Browns because part of why I think the Browns wanted to Karis McKinley is because of the the amount of quarterbacks in the AFC specifically, and you're looking sort of the Browns being able to compete with the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, maybe the Tennessee Titans, maybe even the, uh, the Los Angeles Chargers, they all have quarterbacks who can make plays with their legs. And being able to sort of reduce the pocket and frustrate those passing, those running lanes, for escape routes for a quarterback can be really, really valuable, which is another big sort of thing I think works in Clowney's favor and why I think they like him. Uh, You know, he's another guy who's remarkably athletic on tape. You can see him do things where you're just like, wow. 
And part of it is it, he almost needs to slow down. He's so quick. He doesn't really have a great plan pre-snap. Mm-hmm. I, I can live with that. You know, if, if a guy plays too fast, uh, that's a problem I can deal with. Uh, but just in terms of like the the, the style, uh, the profile, and what he does well really suits to what I think the Browns like about edge rushers. So the problem I have with Quiddy Pay is I, I have real doubts he's going to be able to make it anywhere close to where the Browns are picking. But, man, he jumps out as a guy who's who's not fully formed by any stretch, but he was productive at Michigan. He, he Clearly the best player on their team uh, defensively the past couple of years. And, and I think, you know, he's the type of guy, again, with, with Clowney, with McKinley, you can sort of let him evolve and grow at his own pace, then take over that next year. Well, I, I mean, <clears throat> I talked about this yesterday with Corey. I just think in the modern NFL, and you, you really just references Pete, the way guys have to be able to bend you, these tackles. We, there's so much conversation about evolution from, you know, the rushers and all these athletes that are becoming freakier off the edge. And, and I think we've seen an evolution with tackle ability, tackle body style, tackle athleticism, that if you can't threaten to bend the edge the way I think Quiddy's probably the best suited to do that here, it's going to give you some trouble. You're going to have to really develop a lot of inside moves and combo moves, and that's what Jadevian Clowney's dealing with. It's just an inability to consistently bend and threaten the edge, and it gives you too many troubles because if a, if a tackle's game planning for that constantly, you're going to have a tough time generating pressure. So I definitely think that's something that Pay excels at. So, yeah, I, th- I think you're right, spot on, about if he the, the doubt that if he makes it there, uh, so so a size a little bit maybe more realistic, but if he's there, I, I'm with you. I think it's a, it's – it's a must-take situation. Let's talk. I know you wanted to talk a little bit of Elijah Moore. We talked about him. I don't think it's any secret you love Elijah. Uh, we talked about Elijah with Corey yesterday. And you want to talk about Rondell Moore. So tell me what you like about Rondell. If he's a, it, well, answer this question: Would you prefer Elijah or Rondell? And then kind of go into what you like about Rondell. Well, I mean, Elijah Moore, I absolutely am in love with. Uh, he, you know, this this will be the thing that gets me in trouble. He does everything Jarvis Landry does, but he's fast. Like he's fearless going over the middle. He's incredibly tough. Like he does all these things. You're just like, man, you know, he just has this tremendous package. But the thing I like about both Moors, who I don't think are related, uh, is really similar. The Browns run this two tight end system, and they don't need orthodox receivers to be that third guy or second guy, really. Because you can sort of play double tight ends, whether they're flexed or not, and you can put a guy like Rondale or Elijah out on the outside or motion them to create a favorable matchup, when you don't have to put them on the line of scrimmage, it just opens so much up. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I'll say about Elijah Moore is the one thing – you and I have talked about this. He went to a school that was coached by Lane Kiffin, which is the same deal as was with Harrison Bryant. And Lane Kiffin is really good at using everything he can use with, with the playbook and getting guys in position to make plays. So you get to see everything. It's very easy to imagine with Elijah Moore all the things Stefanski might do with him. So Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore mm-hmm. wasn't used as creatively as Elijah was in terms of their offense. But the one thing that Kevin Stefanski really seems to want to do, or at least I, I believe he wants to do, is I really think he wants a joker-type player. Rondam Moore is that guy. You can hand him the ball. You can throw it to him right now in the same with Cordero Patterson 
when he was with the Vikings, so those type of players where you can put a guy who's not really a wide receiver in there and allow him to sort of make plays and get in space. But Rondale Moore does have the ability to take a top off defense. So, you know, this almost goes back to that John Dorsey thing where like we were all thinking he wanted to find his Tyreek Hill for the Cleveland Browns. It doesn't get any more Tyreek Hill than sort of what Rondale has. Freakish speed. And the big thing that he has that, that, that's going to make him really attractive is he's 180 pounds and really strong. So it's, you know, Tavon Austin was thinner, explosive in his way, but Rondale is very thick, explosive, very powerful. He can, he can fight through tackles. And the thing that will scare people off is with these type of receivers is that catch radius. It's smaller. Some guys don't love it. And some people will be, I think, not necessarily uh, afraid of, but just Baker Mayfield throwing over the top to a guy who's 5'7", just the weird angle it creates, can be a little yeah. bit different. However, the way the NFL is getting spaced out so much and the way Kevin Stefanski is so good at creating space, he messed around with JoJo Natson in the offense, who's 5'7", and 160 pounds soaking wet, maybe, there's a real argument that the Browns might see. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Guy like Rondale Moore and see he has higher value and just torture defenses with him because just looking at him, on the field, you're a defensive coordinator. How do you defend him? He's not easy. Taller corners do not want to deal with him. Linebackers want no part of him, neither do safety. So you have to have like a smallish corner that can try to run with this guy. And just the way that the Browns can sort of motion, create opportunities for him to isolate him potentially when you've got hopefully Beckham working at 100%. You've got Nick Chubb. You've got Kareem Hunt. You've got Landry. You've got these tight ends that all of a sudden you're sitting there going, how are we going to deal with this kid? And he can be a huge playmaker right out of the box without really asking him to do too much. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, it's a level of the field that, as many of us, yourself, myself, have referenced, they didn't take advantage of that part of the field. And I think a big part of what makes Tyreek Hill so dangerous is that, hey, man, this guy could run by us, and it wouldn't matter if it was a normal arm quarterback. They, they, they know pack and deliver the football 65 yards downfield, and Cleveland's one of the few teams that has a quarterback 
that can also deliver the ball 65 yards downfield. People underestimate Baker's Baker Mayfield's arm continuously, and that's a big part of, you know, if you didn't have Tyreek with the ability to run past you all the time, there's not as much fear. I think a lot of that can happen with Rondale too. So I don't think you're limited to the horizontal aspects of his game, which are still great, but you're still able to unlock deep portions of the field, and that's what makes Tyreek from an average wide receiver in the NFL to a really good wide receiver in the NFL is that difference. And I think that's something that Baker could certainly, they could use it for their offense. Baker could use it for his ability, uh, you know, using the best of his assets, the best of his skill set. It's all there for it. So I'm, I'm completely, completely in with Rondale. If they're going to use him in the right way, I see no reason why they would not, especially with their increased success in three wide receiver sets through the end of the year. Right? I think it was like week eight to week 17. I noted those today. Like, they didn't use it a ton, but when they did, they were highly affected. And if they're going to evolve as an offense, a guy like Rondale you know, is a perfect fit. So it's a, it's a great it's a great name. Both the Moors would be fantastic fits, in my opinion. So let's move forward. Next guy is kind of spinning it back to the defense, looking at secondary. Talk to me about Javon Holland. Yeah, so the Pac-12 got hit harder by the pandemic and, and wildfires than anybody. So they had a way higher amount of opt-outs. But – you know, one of the best DBs in terms of making plays on the ball is Javon Holland. He's had, you know, the last two seasons where he actually was playing, he had nine interceptions and he has uncanny ball skills. He can track the ball really, really well. And what I like about him is specifically the Brown, the, the, the scheme Joe Woods wants to employ. He just seems perfect for this type of defense because he's a guy who a lot of people are, are calling just a slot corner. And I think he can certainly be a slot defender, but I also think he can play free safety. He has an Ed Reedish type quality uh, in terms of how aggressive he is on playing the ball. It can get him in trouble. Undoubtedly, there are plays he will give up. But if you look at the de- at defense increasingly the way the NFL does, you're not so much necessarily focused on holding teams to say under 20 points. You're trying to create possessions for your offense. And a guy like Javon Holland, you know, the way the Browns, I think, are going to end up working is their their safeties are going to be responsible for sort of making a lot of turnover-worthy plays. It's not to say the corners won't or can't, but it's, you know, you're trying to undercut routes. You're trying to confuse people. You're trying to get quarterbacks to make bad decisions based on, on the pressure they're facing. And guys in, in the middle of the field that can sort of sneak up on you like Holland can can be real problematic. Uh, he... You know, his ability to sort of go up and get the ball is impressive. He's a guy who can play in man coverage, which I think is, again, critical for what the Browns want. They want safeties who can cover. Uh, He's, you know, he was knocked on speed, which I never saw on his tape, and he tested really well in that area. He's a better tackler than you think he might be, too. He's not a big-looking guy, but he will get guys on the ground, and he's not afraid to come downhill and make plays behind the backfield. So, you know, it – in that day two area where I think the Browns may still be looking at safety because if they're playing three, they definitely need more on the bench and Sheldrick Redwine, God love him. That's not enough. Uh, you know, I was a little disappointed that Carl Joseph signed back with the Raiders because it had been nice to get a veteran presence. But if you can get a guy like Holland who can contribute immediately, you can find a spot for a fourth de- uh, safety on the field. And specifically when you get into the uh, dime and some of those packages, but he can sort of you know, be developed long-term and give you another playmaker on the ball along with John Johnson, hopefully Grant Delpit. It just gives you more ability to cause turnovers, and I think increasingly that's what it's all about. 
Yeah, and it's 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 also having safeties too, who can do a wide variety of things. They need somebody they can feel that can play center field. They need they need they need to be able to mix and match week to week. That's why we've talked about. I know you have. I have a continued interest in Trevon Merrick if he is available because of the flexibility to have a guy play deep center field, to have a guy run up, play the slot, have a guy, you know, anchor the edge and, and dime sets and different things that you need those guys to do. And I think that they could always add, I, I think they need a fourth guy. You mentioned Sheldrick Redwine. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm not confident as I, I would, I would have hoped to have been at this point. That's so okay. yeah, he's in, he's immune. So at this point, I, I certainly think at some point they have to take a safety. Holland is is by far the day, the second day, which is now day two, day three, round two, round three. Very interesting players. Now, a guy we've also talked about. I think we talked about him last week, going back and forth on some of the some of the different things he does, similar to Richard Richard Higgins. And you wrote about Tylen in your most recent mock draft. So tell me, tell not me. I know what you think. Tell everybody else what you think of them. Yeah, so Tylen Wallace had had a pretty average athletic profile, but he he has this uh, Higginsian quality to him, where he just <laughs> understands how the game's supposed to work, and he's got a different skill set. Rashard Higgins is really good at taking that intermediate, that deep intermediate area of the field. Tylen Wallace is a deep threat, and he is an artist at, at tracking the ball. There are times you, you watch him in the senior bowl uh, clips where he's either getting open and there are times where the DB looks like he's got him shut down and he sets it up where he like goes to an area. He knows he's not really interested in just to get the DB to follow him and, and then will extend his body out and come back and make this catch where you're just on his concentration, his ability to track the ball, you know, the way he goes up and gets it. Nothing about him sort of stands out where you're going, you know, this guy's not huge. He's not, you know, he's not a burner. And yet he's just good. And there's something to be said. He's got three years of, of prolific production at Oklahoma State. There is a question with his knee. He did suffer a torn ACL in 2019. He did suffer you know, sort of a, a knee injury. He, he played through most of it. He missed one game this year. But he, he, you know, nominally he's a deep threat, but he's got a really well-rounded skill set. He can win underneath. He can, he can create on slants, and he's got great footwork in and out of breaks. He just, again, he just understands how how, how the game is played. And I think in that regard, it's the same, similar deal as Richard Higgins. Certainly, Wallace is a more well-regarded prospect. Richard Higgins went in round five. Uh, Again, limited athletic profile, but they're both just really good, and they just produce year after year after year. And at some point, you're basically going, I just can't bet on him. And, and I've said it. Like, you look at his athletic tra- you know, profile, and you're sitting there going, I, I don't know. I just can't quit this kid. He's just too good. Everywhere he goes, I'm, I'm continuously impressed, and, and particularly the way he goes up and gets the ball. And, and, it, and we keep talking about it. They have to find ways to stretch the field. Yeah. You know, Tylen Wallace – you know, is sort of unique in the sense that of the guys we've sort of talked about, Tyler Wallace may be able to contribute earlier than most, which may not be a huge deal for the Browns, mm-hmm. but he's just he's just a good player. Well, they, they're going to add a wide receiver at some point. Now, they, they could get into multiple situations, as you know, where they're they're on the cusp of a guy, but they, they like somebody else just a little bit more. And for, for Wallace to potentially be there in that 91 to 110 range, would be a great fallback because I'm like I'm like you where I thought he was going to test better based on his tape didn't come to fruition but you still see a good football player there and at the end of the day 
that stuff rises. The cream rises with the football player. If he's good enough, he's going to make it happen somehow. So I'm with you, Pete. This was great, man. I can't appreciate your th- I can't thank you enough for taking your time to, uh, to, to tell the listeners of this pod, your thoughts, your five guys. I hope everybody uh, who is not already following you does. So Pete, tell them where they can find all of your stuff. Uh, yeah. On Twitter at underscore Pete Smith uh, underscore, and then uh, si.com slash NFL slash Browns. Uh, that's where everything's going on in terms of the site, even podcast stuff for, for those who are interested in. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm thrilled to be here. I, I always love talking football with you. Uh, and, and, and this type of stuff, is. I look forward to this every year. Well, we will, we will certainly touch base after the draft, Pete. Thanks again, my friend. You got it. Okay, so we are going to uh, shift shift our approach here, and we're going to talk about our one – prospect of the day every time let me see if i can get this to go full screen there we go so we will talk about a prospect uh every day every day we do this podcast you guys know this is now a daily podcast um and we will talk about one player uh every every single one of these there's 16 prospects we can take a look at we're going to take a look at richard bateman to start i apologize as that uh as that went away uh i want you to see the numbers because sometimes the numbers are very beneficial so bateman it's important to understand this about Bateman. He was he was not a heavily recruited player coming out of college or out of high school. He's a high school kid from Georgia. Was the number forty recruit in the state of Georgia. Initially verbal to to Georgia Southern. Uh, he was his, that was his first uh, FBS offer, uh, first Power Five program because he thought he was worth it. it. Was Minnesota who offered him? He he decides to take that offer right on the spot. Later, after his record setting senior year of high school, he ends up. Uh, getting several SEC offers. Georgia, his home school there, came after him, but he decided not to go there, stuck with Minnesota, honored that. Comes in, blows it out of the water his first year, 51 catches, 704 yards, six touchdowns, heavy outside usage. 2019, he really breaks out. If you guys recall, he was still wearing number 13 at that time, playing alongside Tyler Johnson in a great season for Minnesota. Uh, 87.1 pro football focus grade. A lot of the snaps were outside, uh, but he was a Big Ten uh, receiver of the year, first team All Big Ten, team MVP, great numbers, great season, especially great improvement in yards per reception, only going up nine receptions. Last year, I think he switched to number zero. So when you watch him of this tape, you'll see him wearing number zero. Had an issue with COVID. He actually lost 15, 20 pounds uh, to COVID during getting sick. He opted out of the last five games uh, due to the to the issues he was having with with COVID and the related symptoms that come from it. So not as great production, but he did mix up his his alignments and his usage 193 slot snaps only 117 wide so you definitely got a feel for how he can align different places he can be a slot he can be x he can be a z he's got great positional versatility and he has a school record in minnesota for receiving yards and touchdowns so we all know the productions there listen if you're looking for a polished route runner with nuance that's what you're going to get with bateman uh this guy has the ability and and listen there's guys jalen waddle jamar chase those guys at the top of the draft Devontae smith who draw the attention, I think a little bit of Bateman's lack of attention is due to that senior year where he, sorry, his junior year just last year where he dealt with the COVID issues and was just a different player. And these these beginning clips are from Eric Turner over at Cover One he put on Twitter today. Fantastic work from him. But pay attention to the subtle footwork things he does. Uh, little, little things he does to set defenders up before he makes the move where he eventually wants to go. Little shoulder fakes, little inside-out moves that I think are so impressive. You know, I think that if you're talking about Bateman, you're talking about a polished route runner. He's got a skillful use of hesitation, body lean, timing to lull defenders, to sell double moves, and absolutely 
fantastic double move player. Great catching the football away from his body and working on the sideline, getting two feet in, as you just saw there. Is definitely a guy who can, I think maintaining focus is an underrated trait for wide receivers. This play here is the safety's bearing down on him on the sideline to bring that football in, make the safety miss, break away. Uh, I know some of you are just listening to the audio version of him. Uh, th I think Bateman is just getting a little lost in the shuffle here. I think he, people thought he would come in a little bit bigger, and he didn't come in quite as big as people thought he would, just a, just over six foot, uh, just, just kind of a little lighter too. But again, he's kind of recovering from the COVID bout, and I think he'll continue to get where he needs to go. You know, some of the weaknesses that they talk about, like I said, the big things is route running and separation, which are so paramount to me. And I, I just think the way he's able to use little nuances of the position to, to work to gain separation at the line of scrimmage, gain separation as we see him working here out of the slot. Watch that inside jab to create separation on that rolling 10-yard out right there. Uh, it's just a fantastic player. He's not really a sudden athlete, maybe. Uh, he might not have that one-step explosion that, say, a Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith would, but he is he is every bit as good. I think I think he has deceptive top end speed. Maybe not, you know, the 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 ridiculous top end speed that again some of these guys have. He was in the the low four fours, but man, just natural flow at the position. The the hesitations, that little inside out move right there to get back to the corner. Tracking the football is never a problem for him. Uh, it's just it's just a player that I think again. I talked about it today. If twenty six rolls around, Rashad Bateman is there. They have to consider him because he will be the best available player on the board at that time. I just think he will be, if you're looking at truly who's the best football player, I think he could be, at that time, the guy that they should be looking at selecting. We talk about lifting the lid off the defense. We talked about it with Rondale Moore. Uh, I, think, I think you're looking at a guy here who, at the end of the day, I need separation above anything else. Bateman can get down the field catch the football deep, track it well, and he can definitely create separation. And those are the most important traits for Baker Mayfield. So Rashad Bateman is today's highlighted prospect who got attention on Twitter, and I wanted to talk about him. So listen, I, I appreciate you guys joining the show. Appreciate, as always, those of you who hang out. We're up over 80 people live today. We always get above 12, 1,300 actual full download and listens on the, on the podcast channel. I appreciate you guys so much. We will be back tomorrow, uh, have a pretty fun mock draft set up. And then on Thursday, for our last one of the week, we have Dane Brugler coming in, who does the best draft work you could possibly find from The Athletic. And I'm really excited to have Dane on. So plenty of great things coming. Uh, somebody asked here, Aziz and Bateman. I would take Aziz personally, Patton. Uh, that's just me answering your question. If they're both there at 26, I'm thinking Aziz will be off the board. But if he is on the board, that's the guy they should probably take at that point. But anyway... Uh, to close out, follow, subscribe to this YouTube channel, please, 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 so that you know when we go live, you're pinged every time. Make sure you're subscribing to the OBR, dollar for your first month so we can prove our worth to you, especially when this draft stuff comes out. You're going to want to see film rooms of these guys, who they take and why they fit. I got you covered there. The Rumor Central stuff is lighting up as Clowney is poking around Cleveland and all these information about players they might take. Then please make sure you subscribe to the YouTube or sorry, I already said the YouTube. Uh, subscribe to the the podcast channel. Ever you listen to your podcast, Spotify, uh, you know, Apple's podcast setup, whatever. Subscribe to that and give us a review if you can. I always appreciate your guys' support. I hope this daily stuff is going well. You like it. You're not bored out by what I'm talking about. We'll have some fun stuff for after the draft too. Uh, I always, always, always appreciate your support. Uh, thank you guys so much, and we will be checking back in with a live draft 
uh, tomorrow, live mock draft, and hopefully have Jeff Risden on that one with Steven and myself, and hopefully you join us. Until then, and as usual, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.